Thank you for joining us for the Sunrise Message of the Week podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Sunrise Christian Center and our sponsors, the Send Network and Seattle Bible College. For more information, check out isunrise.org. Help us get the word out by downloading, rating, subscribing, and commenting on our podcast. The more people interact with our content, the more people will hear it. This week, Pastor Dan continues our series, The Kingdom Heart of a Disciple, with a message entitled, How to Live a Righteous Life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. We'll continue our series, The Kingdom Heart of a Disciple. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount, which is really the manifesto of the kingdom, of what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And we need to be a people who understand kingdom principles. In Matthew 6, we're going to get to the part where it says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. So how we're learning how to be kingdom-hearted disciples, how to be followers of Jesus. And I, we're going to pray this morning as we look at Matthew 5. I also would like to ask you to pray for Greg Klein. You know that Greg was told, uh, and his wife was told that he would not live. He was on a ventilator for close to, I think, 20 days. They said, nobody lives. He's been alive he said he'd never go home, he'd never talk, he'd never get the trach out. Everything that they've said would not happen has happened. Uh, my wife and I went and anointed him with oil this last week. They're going to start doing some radiation. Some of the cancer he had in his brain has been uh, flaring up a little bit. Uh, but he got an infection this week. They don't know what it was. So he came home and he had to go into the ICU. So I told uh, uh, Becky and she told Greg that we'd be praying for him this morning. So please hold him in prayer. God has done so many amazing miracles. And you'll thank God that, that there's men that have learned things and women, doctors and nurses and, and, you know, science can be helpful, but God is God. And you can't contain God to human science. You can't contain God to just natural means. And sometimes when we get set in our ways of how we think, what happens is we get a pattern and we start to pattern everything over what we think and what we've experienced. Our experience is very limited compared to God's experience. And I've seen Becky stand in faith as a warrior. I mean, she's, she's gone toe to toe with people that said, there's nothing more we can do. And she said, yes, there is. And we're not going to give up. But because a lot of times they'll say, well, you know, 100 people that we've seen, 20 have died. So we expect most people to die. Well, if you're expecting people to die, you're going to treat people to die. So, you know, we, we have to be careful in the world that we live in. We want to be kind. We want to be generous. We want to be loving. But we also want to stand for the truth. You're going to find the truth in God's word. God has never lied and never will. And we need to base our life not on what people are saying or the media is spinning or what other people are saying. We, a lot of people, have, even Christians, have got caught up in this. I've got GNN this morning, God News Network. This has never been wrong. It never will be wrong. So if you base your life on this word, it's amazing what happens if you obey the word of God that he speaks to you. And sometimes, can I say it this way as Americans, we just like simple answers. We just want to get right to the point. Well, sometimes life isn't full of simple answers. We need God to reveal things to us. We need God to show us things and we need to be challenged in the hour that we live in. So Father, I pray as we look at how to live a righteous life, even as you said and unless our righteousness in this passage exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees, we will not enter into the kingdom. And so, Lord, you're now showing us how to live righteous lives that would exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And you end this part of the Sermon on the Mount in verse 48 that we'll get to in probably a couple weeks. Lord was saying, but be ye perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Lord, we know it doesn't mean a, a God perfection. It means a teleos, a, a full-grown, a mature adult, that we've reached a maturity in our lives. And when we are, Lord, you can use us in ways that are amazing. And Father, I pray for Greg Klein today. I pray you'd lay your mighty hand upon him. We thank you for all the multiple miracles you've done that people said would never happen, Lord. Thank you that we've been able to talk to him, pray with him, Lord. Lord, even when I was going through my COVID experience, a couple months ago, Lord, he, he talked to me on the phone and said, how can I help you? And I said, you can help me by getting better. And Lord, I just thank you for his heart. I pray you bless him, he and Becky and Christina and Steve and the whole family. That you just surround them with your love and we release healing in Jesus' name. We thank you that you've heard the cries of the saints and you've spared his life many times. 
when, when, when many of them said this will never happen, Lord. I thank you, Christina and Becky's testimony is everything they said so far that couldn't happen has happened. We thank you, you're the God. You're the God that shows that you are God alone and that your power, no power on heaven, on earth, besides your power is great. And we thank you for your great power. Release it, speak to our hearts and lives that we might have the kingdom heart of a disciple. We might be obedient believers that would walk in integrity in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to remind you to right at the end of the service, we're going to have a baptism. So there'll be two people being baptized. You know, it'd be easy just to slip out, but I want to encourage you. They're members of our church family and they're saying, I'm becoming a follower of Jesus. Baptism is much more than we've made it an outward show of an inward experience. It was something Jesus commanded us to do. Years ago when I was praying and I was saying, God, what do you want me to do in this coming year? He said, I want you to baptize people. I said, well, we baptize people. At the people that come to church at their pool when it's convenient. He said, I didn't call you to baptize people when it was convenient. I commanded you to go into all the world. He said, I want you to build a baptism tank in the church. And so I told the deacons, I said, you know, anything else the rest of this year, build a baptism tank. So I got to be obedient to God because I was waiting for this big human incredible strategy. And the strategy was get a baptismal tank. Sometimes God's profound problem you're dealing with is a simple answer he gives you to be simply obedient to Christ. So we're going to use that baptismal tank that he talked to me about years ago. Matthew 5, to 37, again, you have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is God's footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. I don't know if they didn't have hair coloring in those days the same way or not. But (laughs) But let your yes be yes and your no be no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Now I think it's really important. I've heard people teach on this and they say, well, basically all it's saying is don't make vows. That's not what it's saying. Because there's many times in the, past, in the passages of Scripture where God told people to make vows or oaths. And when I stood before God with my wife in uh, 1978 at an altar of God, before God and witnesses, I made a vow. I made a vow to my wife. I made a vow to all the witnesses. I made a vow to the people that married us. I made a vow to God because God is involved in the marriage covenant. God is one that comes into the marriage covenant. I made a vow that, that I would keep her only to myself as long as we both shall live. I wrote a betrothal vow. It was, it's right next to our bed, and I read it quite frequently. I wrote something to her about what our life was. She wrote something to me. We read it at our marriage ceremony. So it's, to just sum up this whole passage by saying don't make vows would do a disservice to what Jesus is talking about. And often we don't study the backgrounds. Why would Jesus say these things to the Pharisees? I'm glad you ask. So I want to read some comments and some thoughts. Uh, first of all, I think it spells it out pretty well in the Spirit-filled Bible before we get into the three points. I want to just kind of paint a picture and give some background so we understand, so we don't just skim over it in the typical American way that we do and say, well, that's not as important as the other parts. Yes, it's important because Jesus is going to tell us a main point of living the life of a heart of a disciple of the kingdom. And he's going to show us how to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. It says the Pharisees developed elaborate rules governing vows. And only those employing the divine name were binding. Jesus associates their deception with the very nature of the evil one and teaches that a vow is binding regardless of what formula is used. The use of oaths is superfluous, since you might understand that word I spelled out for you because I wanted to make sure I had exactly right, exceeding what is necessary. The use of oaths is exceeding what is necessary. One's word ought to suffice. Oath-taking is an implicit confession that we do not always tell the truth. So one side of oaths and vows is people often use it like, you know, oh man, I, I swear to you, this is the best deal in town. Well, when a salesman says that, you should be on guard. Because <laughs> often I've done my due diligence. I said, well, actually down the street, In the other dealership, they've got the same car, same year with less mileage, with a better warranty for $5,000 less than you're offering me. So sometimes people use oaths and swearing to manipulate people or be deceptive. Now, other times, you know, it said David paid his vows, and other times God called people to make vows and oaths. So 
if we simplistically say it's better not to make oaths, in one sense it is, but it's not really what the passage is getting at. What the passage is getting at is they had set up an elaborate system to say, unless we use the divine name, it's all right if you swear by the altar or you swear by the temple or you swear by Jerusalem or you swear by the hairs on your head. So they were setting up a system that was making of no effect what God had spoken to them through the law over and over. I'm going to read you a number of scriptures. You're going to hear a lot of scriptures today. And one of the things that we need to realize that when people say, well, you know, we're under the new covenant and I don't, don't read the Old Testament. Well, you know what? Most of the, or I shouldn't say most of, but a lot of the New Testament is just quoting the Old Testament. And Jesus didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. He came to show us under the new covenant how to live according to the things that were spoken even through the prophets. I don't know about you, but I'm believing for what Joel said in Joel 2, that there's going to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh in the last days, that my sons and my daughters will prophesy. And when my 11-year-old grandson started to speak in tongues, I wanted to interpret his tongues over the, over the FaceTime at the middle of the night. I thought he was calling to tell me he lost one of his tooth and he wanted two bucks. I guess I'm the substitute for the tooth fairy or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't really believe in a tooth fairy, the tooth grandpa. So I always get called when they want their two bucks. But he was telling me he's speaking in tongues. He started speaking in tongues and something started to happen to me over the phone. I wanted to start interpreting his tongues. And he was so excited. And his dad said, go back to bed. We'll talk about tomorrow. And he went back to bed, came back in his dad's room and said, said, dad, he said, I, he said, I'm so excited. I want to receive it right now. I don't want to wait till tomorrow. He said, I'm eager to receive this. I don't want to wait. And Pastor Kevin was teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it stirred something. And, and I believe that my grandson's going to prophesy and my granddaughters. And I've, I've watched my, my uh, oldest granddaughter pray. And I remember when Pastor Andre was a youth pastor, said, man, even the kids that mess around, when your granddaughter Haley prays, they all come to attention because they realize there's something on her that's not in the other kids' prayers. And I prophesied and I prayed over my grandchildren, sons and daughters, according to Joel 2. It was the promise that happened in Pentecost in Acts 2. And I believe it's like a rock that's going to skip through history. There's going to be outpourings of the Holy Spirit. I believe God is preparing the planet for the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we've ever seen in our life and our existence. So it's very important we understand the word. Let's get back or I'm going to get off and I'll start preaching on other stuff. See, in the Old Testament, when you swore by someone which they would have understood, you were inviting that person to be a corroborating or a witness to what you were saying. So in the law and in their, in their upbringing and their culture, they would have known when you made, a, say, a vow by the divine name, you were saying that you were calling God as a witness to verify what you were saying is true. You'll find often in the scriptures, if you look, like if you look in some of the, you know, when, when he said, you know, Later on in Second Timothy, when he's speaking, he said, you know, you know I, I, I say this as a witness before God the Father. He was, he was saying that I'm telling you the truth. I'm, I'm calling God the Father and God his Son to be a witness of what I'm saying. I'm calling down their judgment if I'm not telling the truth. And see, we've gotten such a, well, you know, it doesn't really matter. You know, we're going to be forgiven. That's not the kingdom heart of a disciple. And then the other thing about it that they would have understood as he was speaking is that a corroborating witness, not only was the fact, but a judge against you if your word was found to be untrue. So you were basically saying, guess what? You're saying to that person that if I say anything untrue, I'm giving you the right and the authority to judge me and tell everybody I'm telling a lie. I remember one of my dear friends that was an elder here for many years, he, was, uh, he worked with uh, jewelry and he started working with the Jewish uh, diamond people in New York City, which can be a tough crowd to work with. And they looked at him and they said, why should we give you $100,000 of diamonds to carry in this briefcase with a handcuff on you? And he looked at them and he said something very brilliant that only God could have given him. He said, I want you to know I understand the law of the rabbi. He said, I'm only going to tell you this once. I will never speak about it again unless you want me to. He said, I have a rabbi and his name is Jesus. And if I do not, de if I do not deal with this in an appropriate way, he will bring judgment on my life. And they said, okay, you can have the diamonds. So he understood their culture. So their culture was such that when you made a vow or an oath, you were expected to keep it. You were, when you invoked a name or you invoked something, you were saying that, you know what, this person, I'm, 
they will testify that I'm telling the truth. And if I don't, they will be the one that holds me accountable. And he said, I have a rabbi, his name is Jesus, and he will hold me accountable for anything that I do that is not right and is not truthful. So we need to understand the context of some of these things. And we find throughout the scriptures, it says in Matthew, excuse me, Leviticus 19, 11, and 12, you shall not steal nor deal falsely nor lie one to another. And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor shall you profane the name of the Lord. I of the Lord God, I am the Lord. And he said also in Zechariah 8, 17, let none of you think evil in your heart against your neighbor and do not love a false oath for all these things that I hate, says the Lord God. So see, we see that in the middle of this context, they were saying they had set up an elaborate system to be able to tell lies and make it all right. This is what Jesus was judging. And then he had to correct them because they were saying, well, you know, the divine name's up here and, you know, the, we've got the temple and the altar, we swear by, they're, they're lesser than God, so it's all right to do that. So, you know, it's kind of like lawyers finding loopholes in contracts of people signing contracts and then not keeping them and doing crazy things to just not tell the truth or be honest. I remember when my dad used to go in the bank when I was little and shake hands with the banker and do deals with the banker by a shake of hands and he'd walk out five minutes later because they knew he was a city councilman and a mayor and they knew that they knew where to find him. If he didn't, they knew he paid his bills. He didn't have to sign 14 contracts. Do you know what it took Pastor Doug and I when we signed the contract to, to buy this building? It took us almost a whole day to sign all the documents. Yeah. I got so tired of signing my name, I didn't even want to sign it anymore. <laughs> if somebody would have given me a check, I probably wouldn't even want to sign my name on it at that point. You got tired of writing your own name because there's so many legal loopholes now. Because you know what? People don't tell the truth like they used to tell the truth. And we don't expect people to. That's the sad part. Or we don't hold people accountable when they lie. So first of all, Jesus says this about how they were to live righteous in ancient times. Jesus said, you have heard it said to those old of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. And I read Leviticus 19.12, that we were to be sure that we didn't swear by his name falsely. In Deuteronomy 23, 1 to 23, it says this, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, God, you shall not delay to pay it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and it will be sin to you. But if you abstain from vowing, it shall not be sin. That which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform, for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your oath. Have you ever been in a meeting and some evangelist or some preacher says, I want you all to stand up, we're going to make a vow to the Lord. I don't do it. I don't want to set myself up to fail. I've done that enough in my life. I don't care who it is. I don't care if everybody else stands up. I'm only going to make a vow if he tells me to make a vow. Because I take it seriously. He takes our words seriously. He takes our actions seriously. He actually, we'll talk about, you know, we have to be very careful what we say with our mouth. See, a truthful person does not need to really make an oath in one sense. In Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon had wisdom in about every area except with women. Ecclesiastes 5, 1 to 7. Walk prudently when you go to the house of God and draw near to hear rather than to give the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they do, that they do evil. Do not be rash with your mouth and let your heart utter anything hastily before God. For God is in heaven and you on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For a dream comes through much activity and a fool's voice is known by his many words. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. Better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For the multitude of dreams and many words there is also vanity. But fear God. Now listen to this in Proverbs twelve twenty two. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who deal truthfully are his delight. Do you realize we say things like homosexuality is an abomination to God? How many of you heard Christians say lying is an abomination to God? We like to pick out what we think. You know, God loves people that are homosexuals. Can I tell you something? God loves Democrats and Republicans. I visited someone, and they were in a hospital, and they said, Pastor, you got to get me out of here. There's a bunch of Democrats in here. And I looked at all the nurses and the workers that were taking care of her, 
And I said, guess what? God loves Democrats. They all smiled. We've got to get over this stuff. We've got to be Christians. We've got to be salt and light. We've got to love people with the love of Christ. God hates lying. And we pick out what we like or what we think, and sometimes we allow lying to slide. It's an abomination to God. And they were using, and they made up all these man-made contrived religious things that said, well, you know, we didn't swear in the divine name. We only swore by the temple. And, you know, Jesus is going to deal with him. See, the standard was set in ancient times. In their culture, they would have perfectly understood this. They would have perfectly understood Jesus was talking about them. And they were adding things to the word of God. And the Bible is very clear in Revelation, other places, you're not to add to the word of God. We're just to obey it. So let's be trustworthy and keep our word. We've all failed. We've all... You know, had moments when we promised and not kept our promise. But let's be a people of promise. I remember when my son John was little and I learned at an early age when he was about three years old that you don't make promises to kids without conditions. So one day I said, I used to get up on Saturdays early and fix breakfast for everybody, let my wife sleep in. And I'd make Mickey Mouse pancakes and rockets and, you know, airplanes, whatever. I had designer pancakes they weren't that good, but they were little kids. They thought they were good. And so I promised him, when you wake up tomorrow, John, I'll, I'll. so at 3 o'clock in the morning, I'm sound asleep, and there's a little tug on my bed at 3 a.m. Daddy, pancakes. And I said, John, go back to sleep. It's too early. Everybody's asleep. Go back to bed. I'll make them later. We'll see you, we'll see you in the morning. So I think I'm going to go back to sleep. A little while later, he's tugging on my bed, saying, Daddy, pancakes. So I told him the same thing again, told him to go back to bed. Shortly after that, not very many seconds later, he's tugging and said, Daddy, pancakes, you promised when I woke up. <laughs> and right there, God spoke to me in my sleepiness and said, you promised your son you'd get up when, you, when he woke up. Get up and fix him pancakes. I want him to know he has a father in heaven that keeps his promises. Amen. See, as fathers, we need to be careful what we say to our children, what we promise. So now I always make clauses in my promises. God's a wise father. I learned his word. If you will do this, I will do this. I will fix pancakes in the morning after 7 o'clock when you wake up. So I learned early you have to make provisions to your promises or you could get yourself in big trouble. Yeah, we still laugh, but I did learn a lesson because he said I want him to know he can trust his father in heaven. Secondly, he said, you heard it said, but I said unto you, you've heard it said about a righteous life, but I'm saying to you, I'm teaching you something, how to live a righteous life that will exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. Do not swear by heaven for it's God's throne. He said, do not swear by heaven because it's God's throne. When you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the place where God is enthroned and rules and reigns. And do not swear by earth because it's his footstool. He rules and reigns in earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Yes, he's given earth to men to have faith and trust him, but he still rules over the earth. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And do not swear by his footstool because he rules in earth. And do not swear by Jerusalem. He's, it's the city of the great king. When you're swearing by Jerusalem or by a city, particularly Jerusalem, you're swearing over his city that he said will be where his perpetual glory and his name will be forever. And then he said, do not swear by your head. In their culture, it would have been, it was a term where they're saying, I swear by my life. Or crisscross my, you know, the things you used to do when you were little, that we didn't have any clue. And some people sadly got involved in masonry and did all kinds of oaths that affected generations of their family. He said, do not swear. Listen, we're going to get to Matthew 23, if you read all the way through Matthew. And he says this in verse 16 to 22, chapter 23. Woe to you blind guides who say, well, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater than gold, or the temple that sanctifies the gold. Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing. But whoever swears by the gift that is on it, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift. Therefore, he who swears by the altar, swears by it and by all things on it. He who swears by the temple, swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. And see, when you and I get religious... We start making all these extra rules. 
You know, back in my days, it was if a woman wears makeup, she's a harlot. She's a charlatan. He didn't wear a tie to church. I've actually, over the years, when I wear a suit cut, people say, oh, you look like a pastor today. <laughs> See, when we get religious, it's really amazing what starts to happen. Now, if you say that to me, please don't take offense. I'm just saying. When you get religious, it just stinks. Because you're not dealing with people's hearts. You're dealing with outward external things that don't really matter. So it got ridiculous. You know how they interpreted the law? Some of the rabbinical teachings in that day. I had actually a, a teacher, one of my favorite teachers, Sister of the South. She was a spirit-filled. Uh, her great-grandfather was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. They actually taught in one rabbinical school that if you spit on the ground on the Sabbath day, you could actually be causing a furrow and a crow could fly over with a seed in its mouth. It could drop down into the ground. It could germinate and you would be planting on... The, I mean... It, once you get into these religious things where you add to the word of God and the heart and the intent, it just gets to the point of being ridiculous. And when people say, if you don't do this, I don't believe you're a Christian. I said, well, no, actually, I'm a Christian because Jesus died on the cross for me, and he's now my Lord and Savior, and it's not your business in these areas of my life. It's between me and him what I do. And he was, he was exposing what we get into when we get religious. Or when we take the word of God, and guess what? <laughs> Oh man, I'm sure glad the Miradors were here today because look at this is wrong in their life. Oh, and Marnie's here too. I'm glad Marnie really need, I wish my kids would have been here. They really needed that word. See, this mirror is a personal mirror for you and I. Not to tell everybody else what's wrong with them. Not to go, oh boy, look at the look at the Democrats. Oh, look at that news station. Oh, look at those people in the world. Is that the heart of Jesus? To the young woman taken in adultery, he said, where are your accusers? Can you imagine all the Pharisees that are ready to keep the law of Moses? We're going to stone her. Where was the man? Last I knew, it took two people to commit adultery. God hates hypocrisy. God hates things that are not true. And we need to be so careful now because you can believe stuff you find on the internet that has no basis in truth or fact. But someone's pushing an agenda and making money off you getting to read their reports and only seeing one side of an issue. A wise person never listens to one side of an issue. A wise person. Someone that will be led as a lamb to the slaughter will, a fool will believe everything they hear. I check things out. And when people don't want me to check things out, guess what? I'm not going to trust them very much because if you're telling the truth it'll check out if you're not telling the truth it won't check out and maybe you've been deceived so we need to be sure as it says in Isaiah 66 heaven is my throne earth is my footstool where is the house that you'll build me and where is the place of my rest for all these things my hands have made and all these things exist says the Lord but on this one thing will I look on him who is poor and of contrite spirit and who trembles at my word you know what God's looking for in this hour? It's not for people to swear by the temple or by Jerusalem, but people who are contrite in heart, are humble and honest and truthful and tremble at his word. I remember one Sunday I held this up and I said, this is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. When I get the latest thing on a screen from somebody else telling me this is the latest news, you know, the one that was going to break three weeks ago and never broke, I don't want to waste my time anymore. This news has never been wrong. Yes, amen. And one of the young girls in church, she sent me a thing on Facebook, and she had written in her Bible, this is how I fight my battle. She said, Pastor, I want to see what I wrote in the, Bible, in the book. I said, thank you, Jesus. She got the message. This is how we fight our battles. We take the word of God. And the word of God gives us answers for the complex problems of life and gives us direction and gives us what we need to hear. Heaven is throne, he rules in heaven and he, he rules on earth. Earth is his footstool. God knows exactly what he's doing, even though many of us don't know. He knows exactly what he's doing. When all this stuff started, I'll never forget the message I heard from T.D. T. D. Jakes. He said, I'm telling you right now, none of the experts know what they're doing. 
There's only one expert. His name is God. He's the only one that knows what's going on. And if you don't hear from him, you have nothing to say. And then in the middle of the message, he said something. I wrote my Bible there. I want to forget. He said, they all wanted the kingdom, but they didn't want the cross. He said, this is a season to take up your cross and follow him. We don't like messages like that, though, do we? We want to be blessed and have abundance and prosperity. I don't know about you, but I'm appalled at some of the Christian messages I've seen. I'm appalled. I said, is this the church of Jesus? Is this the message we're telling the world in the midst of one of the greatest trials that we've had in our lifetime? God help us. And don't swear by Jerusalem, for this, it's the city of the great king. And Psalm 48, verse 2, beautiful in elevation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the earth, of the north, excuse me, the city of the great king. Jerusalem is a city. Second Chronicles 8, 6, and I have chosen Jerusalem, that my name may be there, and I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Second Chronicles 7 and 16, for now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Second Chronicles 33, 7, he even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God for which God had said to David and to Solomon, his son in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. He said, do not even swear by your head. And again, in their culture, was, I'm swearing by my life. He said, don't even swear by your life because you don't have any power. I thank God my life's in God's hands. He's the one that's in control of my life. And I made a decision on December 1st, I'm going to celebrate Jesus all month. And I've listened to Christmas carols and I purposely, you know, if you sent me stuff on conspiracy theories, I haven't watched one of them this month. And I have so much joy. I have so much peace. He gave glad tidings of good news to a world in the midst of havoc. Hello? Peace on earth, goodwill towards men. For unto you in this day is, let's make that go viral. In the middle of this calamity, there's a Savior, Christ the Lord, who was born in Bethlehem. And he can be born in your heart. And he can make a difference in your life that you can live victoriously in any situation or circumstance. And we're being tested to see who our trust and our strength is in. He said, don't even swear by your own life. You cannot make one hair white or black unless you have some hair coloring. I'd do more than make, I'd make all kinds of hair right here. So the difference between righteousness and sin is not just a matter of following rules, but it starts in the heart. It's really a heart issue. And religious leaders, they were twisting and abusing and doing religious teaching that were putting people in bondage. That's why Jesus said, you know, you get converts and you make them twice the child of the devil you are. You made all these religious rules that don't bring any life or any joy or any peace or any love or any people being transformed. It just makes people more religious. It makes them worse. It makes them angry. It makes them look down and makes them use the word of God to tell what's wrong with everybody else rather than looking at their own heart. See, this is my mirror to look into my heart. I'll tell you, God's been searching my heart. So don't use oaths or vows like the Pharisees did to disguise their dishonest intentions, to be deceptive. They were saying if the oath was not kept by them, they could claim that they had not invoked the divine name, they'd only invoked the altar. Well, guess what? I believe this altar is holy to God. I believe when people come here and give their lives to Jesus, I believe this building has been set apart for the purposes of God. People say, well, it doesn't really matter. Well, I think it does. It doesn't really matter when people come to the altar. It matters to me. I believe it's an altar of God. I believe it's where we gather. and I believe there's sacred places like Jerusalem where God's called us to go. I hope you all get to go to Jerusalem before it's the new Jerusalem. I love to go to Jerusalem. I love to go to Jerusalem. When we go to the city, I, I'm, I cry every time. We take the tour bus up and they start to play, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Remember the first time I was there, and they said, okay, we're going to do communion, Pastor Dan. We, I was there with Jane Hansen Hoyt and uh, Barbara Yoder and my wife and Pastor Doug and Faith and Kay Rogers was there, and the guide took us to the typical picture where you see the Dome of the Rock and you're seated over on the, by the Mount of Olives, and 
He said, Pastor Dan, why don't you pray over Jerusalem? And I, I was feeling about as spiritual as a grapefruit. I was just kind of overwhelmed with everything. And I'm looking at the Jewish cemetery and the Muslim cemetery and the Christian cemetery. And I'm realizing this is where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. I'm sitting in the place where he wept over Jerusalem. I just get overwhelmed. I, I start shaking and crying. And I'm realizing I'm in Jerusalem. I'm in the city the Bible talked about. I'm looking over the same thing Jesus looked over. And all my images that were from television shows and movies that were all incorrect were being totally obliterated. Like I used to think, man, you know, when they went into the garden, it's like they went out in the middle of nowhere with all these, you know, torches, and you thought they're out in the middle of the Thule somewhere. Now you can actually stand here and see the Eastern Gate from the Garden of Gethsemane. It's just right up the hill. And I realized a lot of the movie stuff didn't even line up with the scriptures. The Christmas story doesn't even line up with the scriptures that most have been told. They probably saw Jesus when he was a little child. They weren't all at the manger. You know much We've been affected by traditions and not the word of God. That's why we need to know the word of God. And I hope you get to go to Jerusalem. So lastly, remember if you add anything anything to these things. He said, you know what? If you start adding words or doing these things, you're doing the work of the evil one. I don't want to do the work of the evil one. I did it the first 21 years of my life. I was one of his main, main servants. And I became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. My life got transformed. So we need to know that the, the, the kingdom life of a disciple, that we should live a righteous life. We should live a holy life. We should live a life that's amazing. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be, be a person of integrity. Be a person of honesty. You know, God says yes and God says no. I've had people say, God says yes to everything. No, he doesn't. He's a good father. He's told me no a lot of times. He told Paul, no, you can't go to Asia Minor right now. Remember when God says no, it's because he has a better and a bigger yes down the road for you. And he has a perfect plan for your life. And God says yes to all his promises he's given you because it says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God. We need to live our life by the promises of God. Yes. Not, not by the news of the hour, but of the wisdom of the ages, by the word of God. And to take the promises he's given us and trust in those promises and believe them and act upon them and watch what God will do. In Ephesians 4 Verses 14 to 15 says, we're to speak the truth in love and we build each other. If we speak the truth in love to people, guess what? They listen. If we speak the truth in anger, they probably won't listen to us. Probably won't hear us. But we build people up when we speak the truth in love. When we do it, declare the truth in the most loving way. It's amazing how it affects people's hearts. So we need to be a people of integrity. What is integrity? I'm glad you ask. Charles Colson said it this way, the typo is mine. My, my writing's hard to, hard to read. Charles Colson said, we must be the same person in private and public. Only the Christian worldview gives us the basis for this kind of integrity. Chuck Swindoll said, few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge, not prudish, not preachy, just crackerjack clean living, just honest to goodness, bone deep, non-hypocritical integrity. And this is a powerful one. Sam Storm said, the only reason integrity should be a burden to you is if you enjoy being dishonest. Job 2.3, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Remember when R.W. Schombach said, God, don't go bragging on me to Satan. I mean, God says to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and he still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And I've had preachers preach the exact opposite of that and say, well, you know, this happened to Job because this is what God said. What did God say? God said, in my eyes, this is how I see him. This is what he said to Satan. Look at that. There's none like him on the earth. He's blameless and upright. You know that God will even encourage you by not just convicting you of what you do wrong, but he'll tell you what you do right and encourage you. Did you know that? He's a good father. A good father encourages his children. So don't always expect when God speaks to you, he's going to be, you better, you better get your act together. He's not going to be pointing his finger at you. 
One little boy came home from church. His dad was the pastor, and he'd been, he says, Dad, the Sunday school teacher said, God watches every single thing I do. And he could tell from the sound of his voice he was picturing God like, you know, the camera in the department store. Even though you know you're not going to steal anything, you're like. And he said, yes, son, he's right. He loves you so much he can't keep his eyes off you. See, a lot of it's in your perspective. A lot of it's in the way that we see things from God's perspective. His perspective is the only one that's 100% correct. Psalmist said in Psalm 25, Look on my affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Consider my enemies, for they are many, and they hate me with cruel hatred. Keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed, for I put my trust in you. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. This is a season to be waiting on the Lord and to keep our integrity and uprightness intact. Job, through all of his trials, all of his trials, he kept his integrity. He kept his integrity. And yes, God dealt with him about who he was. But think about all that Job went through. We're going through a lot of stuff, a lot of people, but remember, keep your integrity. Keep your integrity. It says that Acts 13, and when he removed him, he raised up from David, for them David as king, to whom he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do all my will. Let's do the will of God, even in hard times. And let's keep our integrity. Integrity is a person who has the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. It says this in Proverbs 10.9. He who walks with integrity walks securely, but he who perverts his ways will become known. You know who is honest and truthful, and you know who is perverse. Sometimes I'm put in awkward positions as a pastor. Well, what do you think about so-and-so? Should I trust them? What do I say when I know the person's not been trustworthy? Puts me in a in a very awkward position. I've learned how to navigate those things. I say, you might want to talk to some other people. You might want to look at some other avenues. One time we had a preacher come through from another nation and just had a funny little feeling about it. Everybody else was all excited about this because, you know, in America, when you claim big things, people love that. So I was told that he needed this money and I started calling some of my friends around the area. I have a few friends around here. And I realized that that a number of churches had given this man in a couple weeks over a quarter of a million dollars to build his church so the government would take over his church. Two years later, I show up in that country. I like to check things out because, you know, I'm a steward of what you give. So I want to make sure it goes to the right places because I'm going to be held accountable. And so I ask a friend of mine, does so-and-so have a church this size and this big? And he, he, he wouldn't answer me. I knew him well enough. He was trying to be polite as his culture would dictate. He said, I will take you there. And I said, does he have the largest church? And then he said somebody else's name and said they have the largest church in our country. So he was politely saying, no, he doesn't have a church that size. But he told everybody here that because everybody got excited about it. Gave money. And the man later on had trouble in his life. And see, you walk securely when you walk in integrity. You don't have to worry about anything. If you're not walking in integrity, you know what? It's going to be known. People are going to know you don't tell the truth. You don't keep your word. And if ever there was a time for the church to show integrity, I mean integrity in everything. Don't believe everything you see or hear. Check it out for yourself. Because when you, when you say this is something and you put it out there, you're putting your name out. You're putting your reputation out. People watch those things. They might not say anything, but they watch those things. If you're just saying what somebody else said that somebody else said, you shouldn't be saying that. And let people make their own decisions. Unless you're, you really know what you're talking about. Unless you're really given the place of authority. See, we're to judge when we're in a place of authority. The problem is often we judge in places that we have no authority to judge in. And we make ourselves judges. And that's why I said judge not. When we start to take the place of being judges in an area where we've not been given. See, I'm going to be held accountable for my family. You're not. So I have to be the judge of my family. I have to, I have to deal with my family because I'm the father of my family. You know, Anthony's the father in his home. It's not my place to go into his home and take authority over his family. The only time I'm given authority in someone's home is if they invite me into their home and ask me to pray or do something. I'm going to go speak in another church next Sunday and I'm going to ask the pastor what he wants me to do. I'm not going to do anything he doesn't want me to do because I don't have any authority in that church because I'm not the pastor of that church. 
So I'm going to be under his authority. It's not my place to judge all. It's not my place to judge the street, church down the street. It's not my place to judge what somebody said. Unless it's a lie, and I understand it's a lie, but it's not my place of authority. So be careful when you take your place of authority in a place that's not your authority. That's really the basic teaching. If you look at the scriptures, you're to judge when you're in a place of authority. When you're not in a place of authority, it's not your place to judge in that situation. You judge righteous judgment. You can appeal to the authority. If you see something wrong, you can go in truth and speak the love, but it's not your... If you say, what about so-and-so? And I say, it's really not my, you know, it's not my, it's not my place to worry about the church down the street. I don't have any authority there unless they invite me in to help. You hear what I'm saying? So let's be a people of integrity. Let's be a people of the word of God and watch what God will do. Can you imagine a church full of the integrity of Christ? Loving people? And what Jesus was saying, you know what? This is a terrible righteousness to manipulate people so you can look good. I'd sum it up this way. A hypocrite is someone who makes the appearance of being what he or she is not. They have to impress people with their stories. They have to impress people with who they are. I just tell people up front, I'm not very impressive. (laughs) It's a lot easier way to live. But the one who lives in me is incredibly impressive. He can do amazing things. Well, you told that story? Well, who do you think you are? I said, I'm just a child of God. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about what he does. You want to know what I do? Talk to my wife. She'll tell you the real dead hammer. I'm not very impressive. But the one I love, the one I serve, the one I know is incredibly impressive. And he wants us to have a righteousness that attracts people to him. He wants us to have a righteousness where we judge righteously. We don't judge by hearsay or what someone says. You know, we're in day with a world that just believes anything that social media says. You want to talk about being foolish? That's foolish. There's a lot of stuff on every network, on every side, on every issue that it's not truthful. But they're pushing a narrative. I love but our kingdom's pushing a narrative of a father in heaven who loved an evil world so much he sent his son to die for them. There's no greater narrative. There's no greater word that needs to go viral right now. Send scriptures out to people. Speak the truth to loving people. I mean, nobody's going to say, oh man, I saw this video and it just set me free. Well, you got more angry. You got madder. You got more vicious. You know, this book, it'll make you more loving. It'll make you more truthful. It'll make you more kind. It'll make you more joyful and peaceful. If you follow what Jesus spoke and taught, it's amazing how you can live your life. You can start to go into your neighborhood and spread love. If they let you in the door, just knock on the door. We took cookies around this week. Found out the man that puts the paper on our doorstep Worked at Beck's funeral home for 50 years. Found out they're believers. They invited my wife and I in their house, and we had fellowship for about 30 minutes. Because when he delivered the paper in the old days, he didn't leave it down by the driveway. He delivered it to the door. So he picks up all the newspapers in the neighborhood and sets them on our doorstep so we don't have to walk out in the cold. So we took him a plate of cookies. They invited us in and said, oh, you're pastors? He said, boy, she said, if I had a hat, I'd take it off to you. She said, we're, we're believers. We go to North Shore Community Church. So I'm an usher in the nine o'clock service and we're going to fellowship. I found a black pastor that I didn't even know lived in our neighborhood. Never saw him before. Met him at the mailbox because he had a Tiger Woods hat on. I like to golf. So I started talking about golf. Talked about church. He said, church says, yeah, I'm a pastor. He goes, I'm a pastor too. I said, okay, when you're comfortable, we're going to have fellowship. We're going to have you to our house. Had another black pastor from Renton. My wife and I, we friended him. We went to Nigeria and guess what? He came to our house for dinner. And they said, it's the only, we're the, your, your house is the only house we've been to dinner through this whole lockdown. They become our friends. We call each other. We love each other. You can be building the kingdom right now, right where you live. And have a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness that the world's talking about. We're right and they're all wrong. And that's not going to win anybody into the kingdom of God. But be a person of integrity. Have a righteousness that exceeds these kind of things and be honest and truthful with people and right with people. They're looking for people like that. So, Father, we thank you today. No, it's not the most exciting word in the Sermon on the Mount, but it's a true word. It's one of the ways. 
that you told us that we should live, that we should have our yes be yes and our no be no. We should be people of integrity. Father, we thank you that you come to encourage us. I pray you'd encourage people through the message that there would be a new level of integrity and that we would find people in our lives that would hold us accountable. Lord, the, the Pharisees and all the people of that culture would understand perfectly what Jesus was saying. And if at any time they would have just repented and said, yes, Jesus, you're right. I've been living that way. You would have forgiven them and touched them. And Father, I thank you for the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that you raised up a nation of Israel. When Adam and Eve fell, you had a plan. You spoke in the garden, Lord, and they were deceived by the serpent, Lord, that you would raise up one who would crush the head of Satan. His, his heel would be bruised, and you crushed the head of Satan when you sent Jesus to die on the cross. You raised up a nation of Israel to go and to touch not only Israel, but the nations of all the earth, the Gentiles. They would hear the story of Jesus, of the seed of David, and that they would repent and turn from their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross and shed his blood, that he rose from the dead on the third day, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he rules the nations. Heaven is your throne, Lord Jesus. Father, heaven is your throne and earth is your footstool and you rule on earth. I pray if there's anybody in the sound of my voice watching or here that if they need to receive Christ, they'd turn from their sin and turn to Christ. And for us as believers, that we would live a life of integrity. Lord, I remember when I first got saved and Lord, I, I used to have the gift of exaggeration or evangelisticity. I guess you can say that's the word. And I said, Lord, how are you gonna deliver me from this? And he said, every time you tell something that's not true, I want you to stop and tell the person what I said was not really true. Boy, did I get delivered quick. After about the first three apologies, I said, this is embarrassing. He said, yeah, I want you to be like my son Jesus more and you convicted me, Father, in love. And help us, Lord. Is there anyone to say, Pastor, yeah, that's me. I need to receive Christ. I need to surrender to him. I need to give my life to him today and I want to turn to him. If that's you, just wave your hand at me. Is there anyone? Wave your hand high. It's a little hard to see up here with the light in my eyes. Is there anyone you say, I need to give my life to Jesus or I want to return to him today? Is there anyone? Father, help us today to live a life of integrity, to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. And Lord, help us to love well our families, our friends, our enemies. The world is so in need of people that will be full of the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray you bless those that are going through the waters of baptism today. Use us for your glory and honor to affect our neighborhoods, our families, our friends. In the middle, I don't want to make light of the challenges or the pressures people are feeling. I pray that you would speak to their hearts and encourage them and may they find what they need in your word. And Lord, may the church be the vessel that you will use to make the word of God go viral. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Sunrise Message of the Week. Well, that wraps up 2020. We hope you have a happy new year. We'll see you in 2021.